Friends, we are in week three of a four-week message series called Asking for a Friend, where we are answering your questions that you submitted this summer. And y'all are asking really, really difficult questions. There's no softball questions among these. Nobody asked, you know, what's my favorite color or what's the best ice cream flavor? Blue and mint chocolate chip, by the way. From the Penn State Creamery, by the way. It's a very important part. You get mint chocolate chip anywhere else, you're like, that's eh, all right. Creamery, mint chocolate chip, change your life. I'm going to change your life. Objectively, best ice cream flavor. No, I'm so glad you asked very, very difficult, very, very challenging questions. And today's questions center around the topic of salvation. Today's questions center around the topic of salvation. Now, as a Christian, I'm saved. Jesus Christ has saved me. But I think a question that a lot of our unbelieving friends and neighbors have is saved from what? What exactly does that mean? Now, if a neighbor came up to you and said, hey, I think you're a Christian, could you articulate what it means to be saved? Could you answer that? Could you answer that question? Are your neighbors coming up to you and asking what it means to be saved because they see salvation in you? Hey, I want to tell you all a secret. Low key, don't tell anybody about this. This is the reason we're doing this message series. Not just so you have the answers to your own questions, but so that you and I will be equipped to answer these questions for our neighbors who ask us. And so let's jump in to salvation. Let's first define salvation. What exactly is it? This isn't necessarily a question that was asked, but before we can move any further this morning, we have to come to terms with exactly what salvation is. The dictionary definition of salvation is to be saved or rescued or delivered. And so in our faith, God has saved and rescued and delivered you. That's what salvation means. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is John 3.16. So, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what salvation is. We will not perish. We will have eternal life. So salvation is not just saved from something. It is also saved for something. We are saved from sin and death for eternal life. Praise God. That's something that turns a bad day into a good day very, very fast. And now that we are on the same page with exactly what salvation is, let's get into our questions. First... What is predestination? And does Charter Oak Church believe it? What a great, great question. We don't talk about this a lot. And that's, again, one of the really cool benefits of a series like this. Pastor, what do you believe about predestination? What do all the pastors of Charter Oak Church believe about this very theological concept? Now, you may have no idea what this word means. <laughs> 
Maybe you have never heard of this concept before, and that is really, really okay. Let me explain it in a nutshell. I'm going to explain it very, very quickly, probably inadequately. And so I invite you to have a conversation with me afterwards or, or Google search it. Please do that with any of these topics. If you have a question that you want to explore deeper, you and I will head right to the White Rabbit and we will have a conversation over coffee about this. What is predestination? Predestination is the theological concept that God predestines or predetermines who is saved and who is not. Under this doctrine, there are certain people called the elect that God predisposes to accept his free gift of salvation, meaning on the other side of the coin that there are others who God does not entice into accepting salvation, and those people are predestined for not heaven, but they are predestined for hell. And the theology behind this, hey, there are, there, there, there's biblical backing for this concepts. New Testament writers use the word predestined. They use the word elect in places. And the theology behind that is that human beings are so sinful. We are so depraved that even with free will, we would never, not one of us would ever accept God and God's free gift of salvation. And so because none of us would actually accept God's free gift of salvation. It's God himself who has to compel us. It's God himself who has to compel us to accept salvation. That in a nutshell, that is a very, very, very brief understanding of what predestination is. So, does Charter Oak Church believe in predestination as I have just presented it? Does Charter Oak Church believe that some are predestined for salvation and some are not? No. We do not believe in predestination. The Wesleyan tradition, of which we are a very proud part of, does not believe in traditional predestination. One of our eight essential beliefs, and you can find this on our website or in the Discovering Charter Oak Church class that happens tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. One of our eight essential beliefs is about salvation. And here's what it says in full. Salvation is God's free gift to us, but we must accept it. We can never overcome our sin nature by self-improvement or good works, only by trusting in Jesus Christ as God's offer of forgiveness. Can anyone be saved from sin's penalty. When we return from our self-ruled and sinful life and turn to Jesus in faith, we are saved. Eternal life begins the moment we receive Jesus Christ into our lives by faith. And so we at Charter Oak Church believes that God's gift of salvation is available to everyone and anyone may accept it. And, and this is grounded in so many places in Scripture. Peter writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
And Titus, we see, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation for all people. We do not believe that God's salvation is only available to a select or a limited group of people. And this belief doesn't come from just a few places in Scripture because a a great thoughtful Christian that believes in predestination can find a couple Scripture verses to back up that theology. No, we believe the entire counsel of Scripture presents a God who loves absolutely everyone, who loves the world, and that whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ will come to eternal life. That's our feelings on predestination. So, Father God, thank you for loving every single one. Lord God, help us to love and to serve every single one, including the least, the last, and the lost. And it's in your precious Son, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. This leads directly to another question. And this is such an important one. Is there anything that I can do to lose my salvation? Is there anything that I can do to lose my salvation? I I was talking this message over with my wife, as I do for every message, and I thought, man, this might be a good place to insert a a joke just to keep it lighthearted. And I was going to say something along the lines of if, you know, you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan, you might be in danger, or if you put pineapple on your pizza, or if you're one of those people that hangs the toilet paper roll, which one do you think, which side do you think I'm on with this? If you, if you hang the toilet paper roll so the toilet paper is facing the wall and right up against the wall, you are definitely in danger. Oh, my gosh. But no, and then my wife said, no, 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 this is much too serious a topic to insert a joke here, so I'm not going to do that. I use humor <laughs> sometimes to help ease us into very, very serious conversations, and this is a very, very serious question So many people worry about this, and I am so glad to have the opportunity to answer this question very directly. Can I lose my salvation? Yes and no. Ooh, are you surprised at that? Those of you who know me or who know Charter Oak Church, I heard some gasps at that. Let me explain. If you, and let me be very direct, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you believe in Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and Savior, there is nothing, somebody needs to hear this, there is nothing that you can do to lose your salvation. Nothing. Not if you don't want to. There is no one secret sin that you don't know about that you could possibly commit that could cause you to lose your salvation. I'm going to say that one more time because there's some confusion. There is not one secret sin, as we traditionally understand sin, that you can commit that God will say, that's the one, you've lost it. That doesn't exist. There is no one person that can cause you to lose your salvation. Actually, that statement is only partly true. There is absolutely one person that can cause you to lose your salvation, and it's you. 
It's you are the only person. Not that can lose your salvation, but you may choose to walk away from your salvation. And people do that. And people do it all the time. There's a parable called the prodigal son, and he walked away from his father's house for a time, for a time. Our faith is grounded on a relationship. I hope you understand that. Our faith is grounded on a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as our Savior and Lord. And many people choose to walk away from that relationship later on in life. And if you are sitting there wondering, my goodness, how in the world could anybody who knew Jesus Christ and his love and his direction and his salvation, how could anybody walk away from that? Well, that's a much deeper theological question. The question is this, did that person ever have salvation in the first place? Did that person ever have a relationship with God in the first place? That's a topic for another time. But the bottom line with this question is this. If you desire salvation, it's yours. If you desire a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is absolutely yours because here's what Scripture lays out. You can walk away from God. Any of us can. Many of us do. God will never walk away from you. God will never, ever, ever walk away from you. I know that because of something that Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel truth. Do you believe it today though? God will never stop loving you. Please tattoo that on your heart when you are having a bad day, when you feel unloved, when you feel like you are on an island all by yourself and nobody loves you and nobody cares. I will tell you for certain, we, we care. But I know for darn sure God cares about you. He loves you so much. What that means for you and what that means... <laughs> maybe especially for somebody that you love, is that if you walk away from God, you can always come back. Somebody needs to hear that. If you are far from God right now, you can come back. If somebody you love, maybe a family member, has walked away from the Lord, they can always come back. If that's not a true statement, then the parable of the prodigal son is a lie. And Jesus is a liar. I don't think Jesus is a liar, do you? You can come back, lost sheep. You can come back, lost coin. You can come back, lost son or daughter. Now, there's a, there's a sub-question. Under this one, it is a very, very serious question. But it was asked, and we have to answer it. It's going to be very difficult to hear, especially if you've been touched by this. The question is this, will people who choose to end their life go to heaven? 
will people who choose to end their life go to heaven? I am so sorry if you have been affected by this, but you have probably wondered what the answer to this question is. And there are some very predominant Christian denominations that believe that this does disqualify somebody from heaven. We do not believe that. We emphatically, absolutely do not believe that ending your life automatically disqualifies you from heaven. Some, some traditions teach that this is the unforgivable sin. We do not believe that this is the unforgivable sin. The only sin that can disqualify us from spending eternity with our God is the sin of not trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, having said that, taking your life is never the option. And if there is somebody that is hurting today, somebody who feels unloved, somebody who feels like they are on an island, you are loved. We love you. And God loves you. So if you are in a state right now, please reach out to somebody. If you know somebody who is hurting right now, please reach out to them because the time to reach out is not tomorrow. The time to reach out, if somebody crosses your mind, is right now. Text them. Call them. Send them a letter that says, I love you. By the way, I think this relates directly to what God is doing in our schools. Do you know the number one demographic of human beings that are suffering psychologically? Do you know where the biggest demographic of mental illness is? Our kids. That's unacceptable. What is acceptable is that God has opened the doors for our church family to do ministry in schools. That's why God has opened, I think the door to schools is so that we can go into our schools and tell them that they are loved, tell them that they are necessary, and tell them that there is a God who loves them very, very much. Can we introduce you? If the Holy Spirit is moving you to help serve in our schools, please come see me after the service. The time to do that is not tomorrow, it is today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for saving everyone or offering salvation to every single person. Thank you that you will never, never walk away from us, even if we walk away from you. Lord God, help us to come back. Welcome all your prodigal sons and daughters back home. It is in your precious, precious son Jesus' name that we pray and rejoice. Amen. Back to questions, another huge one, super related to all of this. Why does hell exist? That doesn't make sense, right? Why does hell even exist? Wouldn't it be the most loving for everyone to go to heaven, even if it meant God had to force them there? Now, this is very interesting. This is verbatim what this person asked, and it's interesting the way that this person phrased this question because they're starting to answer their own question. Love is never forced. There's probably somebody in here today that also needs to hear that. Love is never forced or coerced. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, love does not insist 
on its own way. 1 Corinthians 13 is God's ideal version of love. And Paul writes that love never, ever insists on its own way. Think about this. God is love. And he passes that love along to us, doesn't he? And for true love to exist, there must be a choice. Those two things go hand in hand. If true love exists, there must be a choice. They go hand in hand. And so God gave us the incredible gift and the incredible responsibility of free will. For love to exist the option to not return that love has to exist as well. And for those who decide or choose not to love God, there is a place of eternal existence for those people who don't want to be with God for eternity. And so a very strange way, but also a very accurate way to answer this question, why does hell exist, is to say God is love. Hell exists because God is love and he will never force anybody to love him back. God did not create robots who were pre-programmed or pre-destined to return his love. No, God didn't create robots. God created sons and daughters. Now, hell exists because God is love. I think we can also safely say that hell exists because God is something else. God is holy. Peter writes, Just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. God's love and God's holiness are different. They are similar, they are related, they are two sides to the same coin, but they are differentiated. Here's how holiness is differentiated from love. Holiness means set apart. Holiness means different. Holiness means perfect. And God's holiness means he will not be in the presence of sin. And he will not abide sin. And so again, for people who want to choose sin over holiness, for people who want to choose sin over God, there is a place of eternal existence for those people. And my goodness, on an editorial note, I am so glad that we serve a God who is not soft on sin. I don't want to serve a God who says, do whatever you want to do. Everything's okay. It's a free for all. I don't want to serve that God. I want to serve a God who is, at the same time, not soft on sin, but also does everything to eliminate sin from our lives. God will not abide sin, and God is actively taking care of the problem. Father God, thank you so much for loving us so much that you have invited everyone to spend eternity in paradise with you. I pray that there are more and more people saying yes to that invitation every day. Let us know how we can help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last question we're going to answer today.
It's a question thoughtful theologians have been asking for 2,000 years. We are going to cram 2,000 years of theology into the next four or five minutes. Why did Jesus have to die? You ever wondered that? If God is all-powerful, couldn't God, I mean, I know sin's a problem or whatever, but couldn't God have just said, you're forgiven? Couldn't God have just snapped his fingers and forgiven us? Why did he have to send Jesus to die on the cross? The very short answer to that question, why did Jesus have to die, is this. Sin is a very serious problem. Sin is a much, much more serious problem than you or I think it is because especially in our culture today, we don't think much of sin at all. We think sin is a very frivolous thing that God will just forgive if we do it. And of course, God forgives his sons and daughters. But I'm here to tell you today that sin is not some frivolous thing. Whenever you think sin is a frivolous thing, if you are ever about to commit a sin and you don't think it's a really big deal, would you please remember the cross? I, 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 th- this, is, this is not the cross Jesus was crucified on. And yet, if you ever want to remind yourself of how serious sin is, you can always come up here before or after the service. Would you just feel how rough this awful thing is? This is a torture device. Please, Don't take sin for granted. Sin is a disease. It's a cancer. It's an addiction. That's not my language. That's the language that the Apostle Paul uses in the New Testament. Sin affects and kills, kills everything it touches. It destroys our mental and physical health. It causes relationships to break apart. It causes injustice. And so sin must go. Sin has to be getting rid of. Something has to take care of sin. But here's the biggest complication with sin. Here's the thing that throws a monkey wrench in the whole plan. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you see the complication? That disease, that cancer, that addiction, it's in you. It's in you right now. And it's in me. And it's in every single person. And so the question is, how do we get rid of it? Because it has to be taken care of. The easiest way to get rid of it would be to get rid of us. Be very easy to get rid of sin by getting rid of human beings. God showed us what that may look like in the flood narrative in Genesis. God promised to never, ever do that again. And so the question remains, how in the world do you get rid of sin while keeping the patient? How do you get rid of the disease while keeping us? Well, God showed us something else in the Old Testament. After the flood, after the world was repopulated, God gave us the gift of the law. The gift of the law included the sacrificial system. Do you know what the sacrificial system was? It was a system where we could take care of our own sin. When a human being messed up, we would sacrifice an animal. And that would cover our sin. Leviticus says, as a penalty for the sin they have committed, 
They, the people, must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement, atonement for them for their sin. In essence, it was the blood of the creature that washed away sin. The author of Hebrews writes, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Sin must be paid for. Sin must be paid for. It must be covered up. It must be reconciled. The only problem with the sacrificial system was that there are not enough animals on the planet to cover all of our sin. Do you understand that? If God would have left the sacrificial system go on, every single animal on the planet would be extinct by 2022. There'd be no animals left. God knew that. And the purpose of the sacrificial system was never to actually cover our sins. The purpose of the sacrificial system was to show us that it was impossible for us to cover our own sins. So the question remains, how do we take care of sin while keeping us? At just the right time, Jesus provided the lamb. God himself presented the lamb in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was the perfect, unblemished lamb with the power enough to cover all of our sins for all time. Past, present, and future. Paul writes in Romans, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. His sacrifice, His blood is powerful enough to cover your sins and mine. His sacrifice makes it so that salvation is a free gift for every single person. Yes, it's that powerful that anyone who accepts it may live forever in paradise. And perhaps I'll close out by just letting Scripture speak for itself. The author of Hebrews writes, Christ has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I really enjoy this series because <clears throat> you have questions about your faith. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so do your neighbors. That's why I have a water bottle up here. The series is called Asking for a Friend, <clears throat> and your friends truly do have questions. These questions were, I'm assuming, mostly asked by Christians. So I wonder what kind of questions your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates have <clears throat> about our faith. Are you and I equipped to answer those questions when they are asked? Are you and I prepared to bring people to Jesus Christ when they are searching? Can we pray about that? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for saving us. 
In this moment, I want to pray on behalf of all of the Christians in our church family today. Lord God, in this moment, we recommit ourselves to you. We recommit ourselves to salvation. Lord God, to whatever degree we have walked away because we are all prodigal daughters and sons. We want to return to you right now in this moment. You never left. You are right there, Lord God. And we turn to you now, trusting in your salvation and listening to you as our Lord. And Father God, if there is anybody here today, either in person or online, who has not yet made that commitment, who has not yet accepted salvation, Father God, perhaps they may do that right now. It doesn't take an exact prayer. It doesn't take formal or flowery or theological language. It only takes saying, Lord God, I surrender all right now to you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I'm not even sure exactly what that means. But I can't wait to find out. Lord God, right now, I accept your salvation. Thank you. Thank you. Dad, thanks for everything. And it is in your precious son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.